I'm Anna Walker, and you're listening to the Reader's Digest podcast. It's the show in which we navigate the woes and the wonders of modern life, speaking to leading experts about the tools you need to survive and thrive in 2019. In today's episode, Eva Makovic will be speaking to the elite sleep coach, Nick Littlehales. His new book, Sleep, promises to change the way you sleep and dispel some common myths along the way. so much for joining us nick it's good to have you on the show it's my pleasure pleasure indeed um so i would like to start by asking you as an expert of sleep with many years of experience what's the biggest myth about sleep that we tend to religiously believe in um i think suppose the the uh the big one is is that um you know i've always learned and, and most people do is to get your eight hours at night um, which is so important there's no argument about eight hours worth of mental and physical recovery or sleep in any 24-hour process alongside our circadian rhythms of our day the sun going around our planet but the reality has always been that uh, you know occupations and lifestyle choices makes it very difficult just to sleep in one block at night and it's not actually a natural process for the human being. You know, pre, pre-inventing the light bulb, humans always slept in what's called a polyphasic manner. That was shorter periods more often, a bit like children coming into the world. And uh, I think as the generations and decades have, have moved on uh, and the world that we live in today, with the types of occupations we have and lifestyle choices, as I said, it makes it even more difficult. So I think... Um, the one thing we do a lot and has a big significant uh, effect on most people is to is to think about chopping their day up into 90-minute cycles um, from a consistent wait time and looking at little recovery breaks every 90 minutes, uh, other little shorter breaks like we know as naps, but we call them CRPs, midday, early evening, and maybe a shorter period at night to to make sure that we're focused on uh, getting through that period without too many awakenings. So that would be one of the key ones. Mm-hmm. Going back to that eight-hour blog that you mentioned, how did that become the golden standard? And why don't we question it like rules within other areas, such as sport or diets, for example? Prior to electric light coming along, we were very much more in tune with the circadian rhythms, the sun going around our planet and light and dark temperature shifts and when you take some time out which nobody ever does really uh, in our educational process to to understand that process a little bit better uh, we've got brains and we've got bodily functions and they are and hormones which uh, react to sunrise and sunset diminish light and dark and when you put those things together it has always been uh, You know, right up until probably the 1700s, like I said, we'd always use sleep-wake cycles that were biphasic, triphasic, multiphasic to get through any 24 hours. Um, When light came along, it meant we could, you know, extend our period into the evenings once the sun had set uh, with electric light. And that sort of started to make us shift into just sleeping at night. And we've stuck with that ever since. Um, so there's only ever been one sleep-wake approach of monophasic eight hours in one block at night since the light bulb. 
And I think that's why, um, as I said, as we've shifted through those generations, it's uh, it's become increasingly more difficult just to get all of your mental and physical recovery in one block at night. And we certainly know when we look at uh, circadian rhythms and our brains and bodily functions that we are more likely to get the deeper sleep, more restorative stages of sleep uh, before 12 and just after 12. So it's highly likely that a lot of humans will wake around 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and feel wide awake because it's actually quite natural if they've enjoyed those deeper sleep stages, which will not come in the back end towards wake. But many people have a lot of wake awakenings uh, it's a long period of time to be in a sleep state doing nothing, eight hours or more. And that's just become under more significant pressure recently. And it, and it's something when you look at the occupations of the global planet today, uh, how many people can actually allocate that amount of time at night, 24-7 uh, world. So in sport, it's just never been something uh, that is practical to achieve it in any seven-day-a-week. So looking at it in a different way and in uh, cycles and shorter periods has a far more effective way on consistent levels of recovery. Mm -hmm. How important is good sleep for us in general, Nick? I think, it's, you know, everybody's aware that um, as we roll through our 24 hours, you know, we just can't keep going on and on and on. There is a point where we need to fall into this sleep state. The, the sleep state is, is, is about going through a lot of phases and stages, uh, light sleep stages and REM and non-REM sleep stages. And all of those things are doing are allowing the brain to pretty much shut you down and allow things to be repaired and restored. And it's really important uh, in every 24 hours that we have this period where the brain can regenerate ourselves both mentally and physically. And, but... You know, at the end of the day, there's no such thing as a perfect night's sleep. There are so many variables that we, we have to deal with. Uh, some we choose ourselves, some are outside of our control. Is that that drive to sort of get this perfect eight hours a night's sleep is just pretty much not achievable for, for most. And even in today's pop population, I would think very few people achieve it or have an occupation to do so. So it is really important, but it's important to understand that, you know, like the other two health pillars that we've spent a lot of time and research and efforts on exercising, you know, uh, and nutrition, the third health pillar, sleep, has been pretty much ignored. And so we do have to sort of try and make sure that we've got an everyday approach that allows our brain to give us the levels of recovery we want. But like the other two pillars, they are mental and physical activities. Sleep, once you present yourself to sleep and go into sleep, it's not a mental and physical activity. So you're totally reliant on what your brain uh, is prepared or can provide you as far as those different stages of sleep so we very much concentrate on the quality of your sleep and the benefits that you'll get from that short long term is all about everything you do from the point of wake to when you present yourself to go to sleep again to give your brain the best opportunity for you to get recovery it's not something you can just force to happen 
when you choose to. So you are a big proponent of micro-napping. Can you tell us a bit more on why napping is so important and, and how to do it properly? Um, yes, it's these sort of myths and misunderstandings. I suppose it's it's always been classed as a nap, something maybe the older generation do in front of the fire on the sofa. It's snoozers for losers. But actually, this is a natural polyphasic approach. We have midday, we have early evening, we have nighttime, nocturnal, and we all feel that slump throughout the day, but we're just pushing on through it. And this whole relationship with sunrise and sunset shows you that when you get to midday as a human being, you it's perfectly natural to go into a micro-sleep state. Uh, I mentioned 90-minute cycles because in a, in a clinic, uh, the academics would look at a 90-minute period to see all the phases and stages of sleep, and then they'd look at the next 90 minutes. Uh, five 90-minute cycles is 7.5 hours, which is principally where that eight comes from. And if you look at how many cycles you're going to get every day, like five cycles, 7.5 hours, It could be four cycles at night into a consistent wait time. Little tiny breaks every 90 minutes, distracted breaks, one or two minutes just to help the brain. And then midday, it's just taking uh, 30 minutes out. So 30 minutes out of 90, that's 30%. Eight out of 24 is 30%. So it's all about rhythms, patterns, harmonies, and flow. And a 30-minute period or 20 minutes or 15 minutes not more than 30 minutes because you tend to roll into flowing into the deeper sleep stages. So that's what a nap is. It's a 30-minute period um, where you literally just zone out. You're not trying to go to sleep. You don't have to go to bed. You don't have to go in a sleep pod. You don't have to do anything other because human beings can fall asleep behind the wheel of a car on a motorway. Now, that is, that is not a great choice, and that just shows you that the brain is in control. So if you just present yourself at the right times, midday, early evening, you can actually just zone out. It's a bit like sitting by the riverbank, looking at the sky, listening to the river, and suddenly the world seems a much better place. It's finding things like mindfulness, just zoning out, uh, sounds, sensory. Um, we can sleep anywhere, on anything, anytime, chairs, planes, trains, sofas, chairs, all sorts of places, on the floor, camping. Um, so it really is just about wherever you are, whatever you're doing is taking the decision that you are going to take a recovery break because it helps your brain. It helps create a much better nocturnal period for you. So it's really important. It means everything else you do in the day, you will maximize it rather than try and fight it. And sometimes you will go into a little micro-sleep. Sometimes you won't. Sometimes you'll feel quite tired and feel like you will go asleep. So you might find somewhere a little bit more private. It's all about just doing this recovery break, whether you go into sleep or not, because it adds the balance to your 24 hours. Another interesting thing that you talk about in your book um, are the chronotypes, uh, which are a version of the morning lark and the night owl distinction, as far as I understand. Can you give our listeners some more background on what chronotypes are and how to find out which one you are? 
Um, yes, it's sort of I, I'd heard the terms owls and larks. Um, you know, as as my uh, life cycle has progressed, you know, technology allows you to to find out more about these things. So there's a, a strong evidence that it's a little genetic twist, and it's a little bit like um, as we used to be outside all the time. Human beings have not changed. Uh, the sun going around our planet has not changed. Everything else has changed, but that hasn't. So if you have an AMA, as we call them, and a PMA, an owl and a lark, is when the sun rises, if we were spending all our time outside, the sun rises and the AMA uh, triggers, the light triggers through the pineal gland, a hormone called serotonin. That tells the brain to unsuppress everything and to become active. So the AMA is triggered by this very quickly. So they have an early start to their day. The PMA has a sort of phase delay of one to two hours. So they don't react, the pineal gland doesn't react to the light as quickly. Uh, and so they're sort of, they want a, a later wait time. So when you start to look at that, which is a genetic twist, you can camouflage it, you can ignore it, you can push through it with occupations and lifestyles and all those sort of things. But the reality is that I'm a morning chronotype. I'm an AMA. I, it doesn't matter what occupation I choose, if I have to go to work at 12 o'clock midday, I will always be awake 6, 6.30, because that's my chronotype. Um, so as soon as I wake up, I can't snooze. I can't stay in bed because I'm just being unsuppressed like mad, so I'm starving. I want to get, I want to eat, I want to hydrate. I want to do some challenges. I want to do all my intensive type things mentally and physically throughout the morning. Um, that's me. And then I will start to slow down uh, as the evening progresses and want to go to bed earlier because I'm eager to go to bed and sleep because I've been up early, but I'm also eager to go to bed because I want to wake up and get on with my day again. The PMR is more like 8, 9 o'clock. Um, they don't want to start their day like that. They don't get appetite and things like that until later in that day. And as they progress throughout the day, they suddenly start having this sort of second wind where they like to be doing things in the late evening and even the early hours of the morning. Now, when you can spot this in an individual, everybody knows it. I don't come across anybody and go, you know, are you like this or are you like that? And they just, I'm like that. But of course, the key thing is, is that some research, and certainly all the years I've been in it, talking to large groups of people, it's around 60, 70% of the population are night timers, PMers, owls. So the, the AMers are in the minority, and yet pretty much it's changing a little bit now with the 24-7 global culture we've got, but pretty much the PMers have to operate in an AMers world to get up, take the kids to school, go to work, do this and do that. So they're always having to fight their chronotype, which has an effect on their overall performance as an individual um, as they go through their formative growth years and, and on from there. So it, it can make a really significant dis difference to somebody is once they identify it, 
then they plan their day accordingly. They can't change people's schedules and outside influences, but they can certainly, they're more aware of theirs and others who impact on them. They can try and do things at the right times of day. They can protect themselves from doing things when they know they might be at their weakest. And they can maximize their whole approach so much better just because of the knowledge of it. I was also wondering about the perfect setup um, for sleep in terms of the bedroom. Can you tell us um, some tips about what the best bedding is? What's the ideal room temperature? Do we need essential oils or bath salts? What's the best way to prepare properly for a good night's sleep? The first point to remember is when you look at humans all over the planet, they sleep and operate in so many different climates, north and south hemisphere, hot and cold. Um, we are designed to sleep on anything, anywhere, anytime, in any way. We were outside, just lying on the floor, in caves, whatsoever. I'm not taking us back to period, but we haven't changed, uh, and neither is the sun going around our planet. So we, in certain parts of the world, they put so much emphasis on this bedroom and having the right mattress, the right bedding, the right this, the right that, uh, we get information that says it should be 16 to 18 degrees. Okay, well, in a clinical environment, that might throw up some positives, but we sleep all over the place in hotels, in all sorts of places that you can't be that specific. The main thing with this is that no mattress is going to sort things out. No pillow, no bedding. Um, all you have to remember is that you have a brain and your brain wants to react to light and dark, diminished light. So sleeping is all about warm to cool and light to dark, cool to warm and dark to light. It's We can sleep with noise. Um, we can sleep uh, in apartments, in cities, in the countryside, in tents. It's always been amazed me that when I used to go away camping with my parents, when I go away camping with my grandchildren now, we're lying on the floor in a tent with a tiny little sheet protecting us from the outside world. And yet we have the most wonderful time. And it kind of reminds you that it's it's far more about your relationship with the circadian rhythms and what you do throughout your day rather than focusing on trying to do things pre-sleep that it's too late. You can't change what's been going on throughout your day just in the final hour. Some of these things can help you calm and help you chill and get you into a place of shutting down to go towards sleep. But the critical thing is they're not solutions to it. They're just things that you do at the end of your day. And with the products that you use inside of your rooms, you know, we like to think in, you know, whenever I put fresh bed linen on my bed, it's cooler, it's fresher. I seem to want to get into it. And I seem to believe mentally that I'm going to have a good night's sleep. So in sports, we have fresh bed linen every night. Because why not? If that has got that mental feeling and it's that pre-sleep preparation of putting fresh bed linen on, there's little things like that. With mattresses, why does anybody think that one mattress in a box 
will suit everybody's requirements. Height, weight, shape, missing limbs, um, allergies, all of these sort of things. It sort of goes, well, it can't do that. All you need is something that is just so soft and comfortable that in a fetal position on the opposite side to your dominant side, which is the natural human being position, if we slept outside, you need a fetal position on the opposite side to your dominant side, and you want something underneath you that is so comfortable, releases beautifully underneath you, that doesn't ask you to use a pillow to sleep with. You can have as many pillows on the bed as you want, but in that fetal position, balance, posturally, comfort, brain, going into the sleep state, enjoy the sleep stages, don't toss and turn so much, don't play with the pillow, trying to shove it here and shove it there, don't block airways off with the pillow under your head, making your mouth breathe and snort, just curl up, there's something the most comfortable thing you can possibly get, and that's what you're looking for. So it's a bit of a, a broad brush answer to your question, but I coach people to sleep on the floor, because we have to do that in sport. We have extreme sports. We have people sailing, sailing around the world in single-handed races. We have people riding across America for 13 days non-stop where they'll just hop off the bike and curl up on the floor. We've got mountaineers hanging off the side of cliffs. We've got all of these sort of things. We've got surgeons having to sleep you know, in, 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 in rooms inside of hospitals in between surgery. There's all sorts of these things, so I think you just have to put it in context is that your approach to this subject is it's everything you do from the point of wake, what your room environment is. There can be some negatives, of course, but some parts of the world, they go way, way too far thinking that that is actually going to be a solution to a good night's sleep when other things they're doing throughout the day is just counterproductive to it. And Let's talk about sleeping with a partner a little bit. What do you do if your partner has a very different sleeping habit to yours? For example, if they like to wake up much earlier than you or toss and turn a lot during the night, what, what, what's the solution to that? Get rid of them. <laughs> it's, it's again, it's this process, you know. It's, we always try to look for answers to, you know, areas around sleep when... If we'd only had the education in the first place, then we would have known about these things. And as they crop up, we're able to try and manage them better. The fact of the matter is, I didn't choose my partner by asking them their chronotype. Because as an AMer, I want a PMer. Because I'm going to get up in the morning and do everything. And then when I get home, they're going to do everything for me. <laughs> and we want a nice balance. I also didn't spot whether they were left or right-handed. Because while I sleep on my own, I'm right-handed. On my left side, it's less sensitive. It's the good human fetal position. I can sleep anywhere on a mattress. As soon as I get a regular sleeping partner, one of us has got to sleep on one side. And as we stop loving each other, the sex and the, you know... Uh, spooning and cuddling and security and all that, we turn away from each other to create our own little space, one of us is going to be turning onto our opposite side or our dominant side. Now we've got a problem. You sleep on your own. Uh, we normally get a single space. And a single space, three foot by six foot three, 90 by 100 by 200. 
And then suddenly when we get a regular sleeping partner, we start sleeping in double beds, king-size beds, which is actually providing less space than we had as children or teenagers. Mm -hmm. So there we go. Because the standard double the standard double mattress for two adults is actually called Super King in this country, in the UK. Super King sounds like it's the massive thing for luxury. It's not. It's just two spaces for two adults. So I think, you know, we have to sleep in, in small bedrooms. We have to choose products that will fit in our rooms. We choose our partners. Uh, we understand these things. So maybe, you know, everything we do from the point of wake is the most important thing because we may be sleeping in environments with other people on two smaller sleeping spaces with a different person, then as we develop, we start taking different life choices, different careers. So this is why this whole polyphasic 24-hour rolling process to sleeping in cycles, using those CRPs, those little naps, those little periods, allows us to deal with change and also gives us the knowledge of the next opportunity when we go to buy a new property to live in the first place we go is how big the bedroom is not the kitchen not the lounge not the garden because unless we can get a big enough mattress in there to accommodate us both because we're both AMers or we're both PMers we're both right handed we're both left handed all of these factors are not there then we want to be able to stay together for a long period of time, if not the rest of our life. And we do not want our ability to recover impact on our decisions about our careers or whether I actually like you anymore. Mm. And what about sex before sleep? Where do you stand on that? In, in sport, there's a lot of people who've always thought, you know, that you shouldn't engage in sex because it saps energy and all sorts of things. Well... You know, I'm a bit of the unconventional wisdom about sleep. I'm not the, and I'm sort of trying to find challenges and how to get somebody to be optimized at their best. And I know a lot of people. I've had a lot of experience personally, and I also not know a lot of other people because as a coach, I delve into your personal life. I know that some people, when they're having sex with let's say predominantly with a, a secure partner, is it takes you away from the whole world. It puts you in a very natural human place, a very human place. It makes you feel, so all the anxiety, the stress, the worry, whatever's happening tomorrow or the next day can be just giving you a great opportunity. It's like a CRP. It's a moment when you just are able to leave the world and focus on something very natural. Some people, when they have sex, fall asleep straight away. Some people become very energetic. So the answer to your question is, is you just profile the individual, you find out which one they are as far as sex is concerned, and you use it to your advantage and make sure it doesn't impact if they're like that. So we actually use it as a benefit. And so, and if, but if you're not that kind of profile, we want to be careful because you'll be hopping around the bedroom all night long if you do. So it's kind of, it's just, it's just putting it in a, it's a, it's a great tool for all sorts of reasons. It's not just an energy sample. Well, thank you so much for uh, educating us on sleep, Nick. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. 
<laughs> Thanks very much for having me on. I hope uh, people enjoy listening to it, and they've got some takeaways there, and you know, give them every confidence that uh, whether they sleep well or not, or struggle or not, or doesn't really matter. Uh, but if anything's triggered off in their heads, I could do this better. Believe me, there's a lot of people around the world who are doing this. So you know, it doesn't take much to uh, you know get books, get information, go online, talk to people like me. Um, and just do something that no other population has ever done before and that's actually decided to take sleep not seriously just redefine it Nick Little Hales' book Sleep is available to purchase from all good bookshops. Please rate and review our podcast if you enjoy what we do and tell us about your sleeping habits on Facebook or interact with us on our Twitter feed, which is at Reader's Digest UK. Thank you so much for joining us and until next time.